you know, we have accepted a heart on your behalf. Not looking at, but accepted, meaning we found a heart. And I grabbed her arm and I said, you're kidding. But then I mistakenly said, where's the heart? And she said, it's not been harvested yet. And Susanna, that's when it hit me that this young man, and it was identified as some in, in the early 20s, still had the heart. And I go, oh, my God. He has the heart still. And I broke down and I lost it. That's when they can talk about it. But until you get the news and realize someone's dying on your behalf and they're not dead yet clinically, that, you know, that's bigger than a Starbucks on a Monday morning. Hello, Texans. I'm Susanna, and this is The Susanna Gibbs Show. You just heard a clip from Rick Smith with Rock Bottom Outreach. He is approximately 29 days into his life with a brand new heart. He's got a great story, so I hope you enjoy. On this podcast, we focus on the great stories. I've been fortunate enough to be an insurance agent and an actress and producer for over 25 years now. And so that's a lot about what you're going to hear on this podcast with artists, entrepreneurs, idealists, the hows, the whys, choosing to get up again, overcoming hardship, getting a brand new heart. We're a sucker for a good story. And so if you have one that you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Go to GibAgencyDallas.com and connect with us there. The insurance agency pays the bills for this podcast. So we're going to give you an insurance tip at the end of this to send you out into the world smarter and more knowledgeable. Knowledge is power, right? Again, thank you for being here. We appreciate your time. And now, on with the show. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I appreciate having you here, and I'm so excited for everybody to hear your story. Well, Susanna, I appreciate it. I'm excited to be on here. When I saw your, I'm not even sure how I saw it, maybe on Facebook or something, and um, kind of started me thinking like, man, what a great opportunity to share my journey and well, and insurance had a lot to do with it because it almost cost me my life. And I was like, what a better fit. I, well, and you know, it's it's kind of a stretch sometimes to connect the stories with insurance, but yours is definitely an easy one. So I'm going to I'm going to walk us back. I think I'm going to walk us back to I think. When did you start Rock Bottom Outreach? Started rock bottom outreach in 2009. I hit rock bottom in 2008 with a pill addiction that had kind of built over a 10 year period. Um, you know, it's really funny. I went to church on Sunday. You know, everybody thinks drug addict, long hair, and Cheech and Chong, right? But I look just like I do today. So you never would have known. And so had all American family was coaching in a small. Texas community. Everybody knew us. I'd won two state titles as a coach. And um, it was one of those deals that just over time, I've had multiple surgeries, former bull rider athlete, and the doctors just started giving me, you know, pain pills. And over time, it turned into over a 10 year period, it turned into a full blown addiction. And so it, it was actually. Have you, have you followed um, 
some of the stuff going on up in Ohio and those, cause it's, it was pretty much at that time when people really were prescribing narcotics, just like it was candy, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, and, and so, you know, they didn't blink to give me 260 Norco, which is, you know, Vicodin. I mean, that was normal. You know, you would go in or you'd call it in and they just, re- you know, they just prescribe it. I mean, and so, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, I had a couple of doctors. I mean, I'll be honest with you. That's kind of when I knew I was in trouble. Bottom line, I was hooked. I just didn't know what to do. Right. You know, it's not like I was going to go and just like, hey, by the way, I think I've turned into an addict because you certainly everybody's got something in their closet. Here I'm a coach. If I admit I'm an addict, I'm going to lose my identity. And my identity was coaching. And and so my priorities were backwards. So anyway, because of that rock bottom, you know, I felt the need to bridge the gap for someone like you and I that all of a sudden you're struggling and you don't know what to do. Would you, and so would you that share is, that, that moment? Ahead. Would you, I know this is kind of a tough moment for you, but would you share that moment when you, when you were like this, this is it, this, this has to stop. Cause I know it was, I know it scared you. Well, it did. Um, you would have thought it was enough that at the very end of school, May 08, when you get a call from a neighbor and he asks you if you're moving and then you discover your wife has taken your three boys and left. And we've never been a family again of, of that day. I mean, when they were, she was gone. And so, but because I'd been named the head coach at a local school, I'm like, I'll just fix this myself. But I had a pastor say, you know, Rick, you got to hit rock bottom. And I'm like, what do you think this is? Well, fast forward, I'm trying to stay alive. I'm trying to coach. It's August. I'm now getting drug tested, right? Which is very humbling. And so now I'm getting drug tested. So I test clean. I get to have my boys for the weekend. And so I'm excited to get to have my boys again. Well, we had a scrimmage game in Perrinwit, Texas, and I had retaken Xanax. So that was one of my, what you call DOC, drug of choice. And under the influence of that Xanax on a farm road, the boys were in the truck. I crossed the center line on a farm road and I sideswapped an 18-wheeler. That right there was my rock bottom when you you ain't gonna talk your way out of that and so that cost me the rights to my boys for a year and i almost killed my children and then also the truck driver but luckily we walked away by the grace of god so that was the moment that i knew that it was time to surrender but it cost me everything suzanne it really did yeah that's hard that's Mm -hmm. hard so you go through I guess because you said you hit rock bottom in 2008, you started the ministry in 2009, mm-hmm. and then you're working through that. When did they say, hey, Rick, you've, you've got a problem with your heart? Um, I was having a nervous breakdown over what was going on, and all of a sudden um, started having extreme short of breath. I couldn't walk up three stairs without sucking air. And that's when um, I was referred to a cardiologist. I had had a PCP. You know, I go in to like, hey, I need some help. You know, what's going on here? And they did a a EKG and echo and said, hey, we need to get you to the cardiologist. And that's kind of when they sat me down and said, here's what's going on. You have fluid around your heart. You've suffered heart failure. It's called stress-induced cardiomyopathy. And they said, you probably won't grow old. It's irreversible. 
you know, here I am, I'm 40 years old and told, you're probably going to die, you know, to let that sink in. And um, did you think you'd hit rock bottom once again? Well, my mindset at the time was maybe I deserve this because mm-hmm. of what I've done to my children, because I still had a lot of stinking thinking. Yeah. If you would, you know, that a, a false belief system, you, you know, is what it was. But I, but I'll tell you what it was. It was one night and I heard a song and the chorus said, I'll do whatever it takes to turn this around. And I think we need a life motto. I think we all do something that drives us. Well, I grabbed a piece of paper, man, and I wrote that down and I was like, I'll do whatever it takes to turn this around. Like, so be it. If I'm going to die, I'm going out swinging and I'm going to, I'm going to do anything I can to inspire, but I'm taking my life back. And that is when I began to put my feet on the floor every morning to find a reason to get up. But I first had to do it for myself is what it was. And I began to focus and invest in Rick Smith. And that was through recovery, uh, being discipled, going to church, working out. I was determined for that first year to like focus on Rick Smith. When did you, when did you make your, your bargain with God? It was actually uh, August 16th, 2008, the night I hit the rock bottom. Yeah. Um, I paced the house in the dark through the night. I'll never forget it. And I finally, I cried out to God. And I said, if you're there, I got to know it. I have to know it. Because I was what you call a carnal believer, where I kind of sat on the throne and I referred to God occasionally. Mm. But only when I wanted him. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, God, help me get this new car or help us win this football game. But I never really had sold out. But that night, I said, if you give me my life back, I'll serve you from this day forward in a minute. And he gave me my word. And I think sometimes if you'll listen closely, God gives you a word. And it was steadfast and means not to the right or the left, but continually move forward. And that has been my, my motto ever since is the word steadfast. And, I, and that's when I began to bottle, I mean, to, to, to battle, but... Um, I don't think I negotiated with God. I, I was, I was making a promise, not like, Hey, Suzanne, I promise I'll be on there at 9am. I'm talking, I, I made a promise to God, like, <laughs> like God. I mean, how am I going to go back on that? Right. Mm-hmm. And knowing what he's done as hard as the journey has been, but it was August 16, 2008. Okay. That's what it was. So I know I'm jumping around, but that's okay. So go you ahead. Get- go ahead. I know you get the heart diagnosis. You run through a lot of different medicines. You try a lot of things. When, because you told me this story, when did you meet with the doctor at UT Southwestern that was a big pivotal moment for you? Well, I actually, um, you know, it it was a couple of times. Um, I had a cardiologist named Daniel Caldwell, which has been phenomenal. And, and in 2010, they actually put a pacemaker in. And everyone always goes, yeah, my grandma's got one of those or my grandpa's got one of those. I'm like, I know. I, I'm aware of that. <laughs> yeah, and like, thanks for rubbing that in, you know. But um, so I had a pacemaker and a defibrillator. And so actually during football season one time, it actually, I wanted what they call VTAC, and it went off during oh, the football no. game. I thought the ball hit me in the chest out of bounds, doubled me over. Buddy uh, to the right says, what's wrong with you? And I go, oh, my gosh, dude, I think my thing went off. 
And he goes, what does that mean? <laughs> and I go, we got to get to the ambulance. So by that time we get to the ambulance, I'm back in a normal rhythm. So, but I end up in the hospital, Dr. Caldwell comes in and, but I text him all the way to the hospital. And I said, my device went off and I kid you not, he wrote back, LOL. This is funny, Hal. How's this funny? <laughs> yep, right. You know, and, and, and so at the hospital, he said, I wasn't laughing at you. He goes, that's why you have it. He said, you know, you would have died, right? And so mm -hmm. it kind of hits you like, oh my gosh, like I'm really sick mm -hmm. because I had maintained with medication. But go, let's go to 2018. That's when they're like, I need you to meet with a transplant team. And I go in there, but I do real well on the test. But I asked this question, and this was where I was mentally. What if I just want to ride my tractor, country term, until it runs out of gas? That was my question. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of said, like, not do it. And I said, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And they said, well. It's your, your life. I mean, it, it's up to you. And, and, and my boys knew the answer to that. They just never wanted to talk about it. Right. It, they felt I was tapping out is what it was. But that was, that was 2018. And um, no one ever has realized how sick I've been. I, I'll be honest, you know, and just um, because I started listening to what a transplant would involve and it was a million and a half dollars. And I'm like, I'm a million and a half short, man. There's no way I'll ever be able to out of pocket and all that pay for that. Like, I'll just ride the tractor. I'm cool with the tractor. It's cheaper is, is my mindset. So, yeah, that was 2018. It's first time that with them up until this past January, November. Is that when the doctor stood up and gave you a hug and said, we're here with you? Yeah, you can you know do it. Yeah, you know you're in trouble when um, I call them tricks. Okay, that if if you knew me real well and you knew I had heart failure, but you saw me drink like an energy drink, you'd be like, "Are you stupid? Why are you doing that?" Because you have no energy when you have heart failure. Mm. So I had these little tricks that would help me get through. Here I'm still coaching. I'm doing ministry. I'm a hospice chaplain. You know, I'm, I'm doing, man, I'm Tigger, man. I'm like getting things done. I'm bouncing around. But all of a sudden, my trick's not working no more. Mm -hmm. I used to, during the cold weather, it would open the bronchioles and I could breathe. But all of a sudden, that's not working. Now I feel like my heart's going to explode. Go to the PCP. She runs the labs. She's like, it's called BMP. Like, your numbers are out or through the roof. You got to go to the cardiologist. So that's when she sent me to Caldwell. And that's when they did an echo. Caldwell comes back and he looks me right in the eye. And he said, Rick, I can't do anymore. You're, you're rapidly declining. Medication's not working. He said, it's time to go to do a transplant and get evaluated. And I'm sitting there with my mouth open. And when I, and all of a sudden he hugs me, like I stand up, he hugs me, a frontal hug. And he said, I won't let you go through this alone. And boy, it hit me to say, I'm, if I don't do this, I'm dying. I'm going to die. Like, I may not make it another year is, is what he told me. And uh, that's when he called Dr. Mark Dranser, and he's the chief of cardiology at UT Southwestern, which is the number one transplant hospital in the nation. Mm -hmm. And so um, that they rapidly got me in. And, and that's when we had that first discussion at UT Southwestern. And they began to kind of tell me what that looked like exactly. 
Do they do any coaching for you as far as, because, you know, um, I know they talk a lot about what medically is going to happen during a transplant, but do they talk much about emotionally how you're going to feel? Like, did you ever feel guilty about getting a heart transplant from somebody else or whether you deserved it or? Yeah, they, um, they leave no stone unturned. Okay. I'm going to be honest with you. They, uh, because when they have a transplant team, they got a transplant team and we're talking psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, they have mastered the art of this thing, but they can talk all day long, but you're really not prepared for it. You're not that you're not really that prepared until all of a sudden reality sets in to like, you got somebody else living inside of you. Mm. And, um, they, um, even upon discharge, they send you home with sunscreen, like pill cutters like they have not missed anything at all they're very thorough but you know they talk about it talk about you know a lot of the questions what do your support system look like that you're going to need for your recovery they want 24 7 coverage really for the first six weeks so there's a lot of involvement but uh, you can only hear but it's like the roller coaster you can hear about it but you got to ride it to experience it well i've now been on the roller coaster <laughs> and so did your addict did yeah. your previous addiction come up as far as whether you would be eligible for a transplant? Boy, you are good at this. You're good <laughs> at this. I'm going to pet, man, people are going to think you and I like already did this already. You're good at this. Wow. That is a great question. That is what scared me the most. So you got, you're in the hospital for two weeks doing this evaluation. Everybody that has a, an MD, but even, you know, the dentist, the psychologist, Sure enough, social worker starts to drill me about that addiction. So, okay, it's 2023, y'all. And and we had an incident November 2023 that I had to fire a doctor that could have cost me my sobriety. Uh, mm. Just to be honest with you, it's important to have the right doctor. So I had to fire him, get a new PCP that doesn't prescribe anything. Well, I just haven't mentioned that. All of a sudden, next visit I get is the psychologist. And I get drilled, drilled about 2008. What did you take? Did you borrow them? Were you selling them? How many were you taking? Did you have multiple doctors? And when she walked out, Susanna, I'm thinking, I'm not going to get a heart. There's no way. That's going to be a deal. No way. That's a a deal breaker right there is what it is. They are... There, I, I was so upset. Did you have any you... like fears that people would walk up to you randomly and be like, "Why do you, why do you get to jump the line? Why do you get a heart?" I can't imagine anybody ever did it, but that it would be something I would worry about. You know, this random conversation that would probably never happen, but right. Um. Yeah. Uh, or did it happen? No, it, it just, um, yeah, it, it has. Being visible in the community and, and like you do podcasts and people recognize you in the community, they feel they know you even though you don't know them, <laughs> you know, and so they feel freely to come up to you. But like, I think it's amazing 
my brother was on the list, but he died before he got a heart. That doesn't make you feel very good, mm. you know, because you're like that little song, why, you know, why me, Lord, what did I ever do? That old Chris Christopherson song, yeah, you know, but yeah, absolutely. Because people go on the list and they may wait for years. There, there's a little boy that's, I know of seven years old, mm. and this little boy has opted to just be a little boy. And I know what that means. Because understand when, and I got the phone call after, and I didn't think I was going to get it. I honestly didn't because of what you brought up about the addiction. And they kind of said, well, we just want to make sure you have a support system because you're going to have to be on narcotics. And when you discharge home, which I discharged home with no narcotics, by the way, praise God. I went home with Tylenol. That was it. Anyway, but they called on a Thursday morning after the team met because your life is in their hands. It's for them to decide. Because if you are a heavy smoker, drinker, vapor, or other type diseases, they will not offer you a heart. They will not. You don't have the support system. And so they called and said, congratulations. If you can imagine getting this call, congratulations. We met and we want to offer you a heart. Offer you a heart. Yeah. So now at this point, you're in the waiting process for a donor, right? So when you go into the hospital, and I don't remember this part of the story. So when you go into the hospital, it's not because the donor's ready, but it's because you have to go into the hospital, right? Yeah, he. Um, I was put on what they call milrinone. Milrinone they call jet fuel for the heart. And it's a pick line with... And it's in a backpack and it goes 24 seven. So that's what was keeping me alive. And so, but I could still go in the community or whatever, but you can only live on Milrinone for up to six months. But all of a sudden, like it's pumping my heart for me, which hasn't been happening. And so basically when they put me on Milrinone, they brought me in on what they call a level four when they put me on the list. And so I'm still on the football field coaching with Milrinone on, and all of a sudden, um, they redo my labs and they see I'm declining. And that's when I got a phone call from Dr. Hendren, who was the lead of my transplant team. And he said, it's time to come into the hospital. And that's when I got called in. And, and that was, um, that was um, I think, about May 13th is mm-hmm. when that was. And they brought me in and I was, I was admitted. And he said, hey, you're too sick. We're not sending you home without a heart. So now it's a waiting game you know, to just like lay in the hospital and, and wait. But I really began to decline rapidly in the hospital. And, and, and all of a sudden things were changing very quickly and they took me to, they put me in the ICU. So you're in the ICU when they say, we've got a donor. What exactly do they say to you? Um, May 26th, I woke up and I'm on what they call a balloon pump. Balloon pump put me at level two. Went on the balloon pump May 25th, May 26th. You know, even they're they're looking at my numbers back and forth, the Dr. Um, Araj, and he's asking, what do you think? Because if you go on a balloon pump, you can't get out of bed anymore. Like, mm. you can't even bend your leg. And he's and I'm like, what do, you, what do I think? Like, you're the doctor, but I had to wrap my mind around it. So on the 26th, the next morning, I'm, a, I'm asleep. And Dr. Farr walks in, never met her, but I'll, she kind of looks like you, which is really wild. Um, 
never met her. She wakes me. She kneels down. And she said, Mr. Smith, I'm Dr. Farwell, the transplant team. And I want to let you know, we have accepted a heart on your behalf. Not looking at, but accepted, meaning we found a heart. And I grabbed her arm and I said, you're kidding. But then I mistakenly said, where's the heart? And she said, it's not been harvested yet. And Susanna, that's when it hit me that this young man, and it was identified as some in, in the early 20s, still had the heart. And I go, oh, my God. He has the heart still. And I broke down and I lost it. That's when they can talk about it. But until you get the news and realize someone's dying on your behalf and they're not dead yet clinically, that, you know, that's bigger than a Starbucks on a Monday morning. You know, you're like, wow, but she said, you can't think like that. This is a gift that he's giving you. And um, boy, I'll never forget that conversation. And I was transplanted the next day. So they roll you into surgery. They start doing the procedure, but the heart's not there yet, right? Yeah, I asked that question. That was my question. Is the heart here? And they said, the heart's not here yet. You know, and, and so then again, and I'm already strapped down like Jesus, right? And I've already made amends and, and there's a video. The last thing I said was either way, I'll see you, either way, I'll see you soon. And, um, and, and Man, so better I hope ha- there's I not traffic right on right, right yeah. start the surgery so, like sorry we got stuck on 635 man it was it was tough but i know you said they're in a well, learjet I'm, I'm sure they're helicoptered but you know yeah learjet brought it in from uh, a thousand miles out uh that's the search radius because they don't want it out of the body more than four hours you know i mean just and and, the, and it's called a heart in a box is what it is and so last thing i re- i remember before my experience was being strapped down like Jesus and all of a sudden I was asleep and then what happened happened. I want to talk about the donor a little bit and then I want to talk about your experience because I don't want to leave the donor just yet and I think we're probably going to talk a lot more about the experience. My camera's making Love me to... crazy. Am I, know, I moving? I know you're there. I can see you. I know. Nah, I it's, see you, but... it's killing me yeah. and I hope it's requ- like the way that this this thing works is that yeah. It records on each place locally, and then it combines it together. So it doesn't necessarily mean that mine's going down, but, you know, internet technology, all good things, right? If I can hear you, I know you're there. Yeah. So um, the donor, you've had no contact with the donor's family, right? They don't let you. that that is correct. Yeah, not, yeah. and you don't I, know I mean, anything I, about race, or you know his young his height. But you now, know nothing about him. No, nothing at all, other than out of state, young, early twenties, male. He obviously had a cat or a litter box, you know, which I'm having to get infusion treatments for because of something that that carries. I can no longer have a cat or a litter box. I can't empty litter boxes. But I, I'm a country guy, so my cats belong outside if I had a cat. Anyway, that, that's all I know. Just recently, a week ago, they ha- I wrote a letter to the family, but it's up to them if they want to correspond with me or not. But Father's Day was hard for me because I realized a father had lost a son, oh, you know, God. and he was on life support. And, and so, but, you know, but he lives in me, you know, and um, 
Yeah. Yeah. He lives in me. He lives in you. Yeah. So let, let's talk about, I want to talk about your experience while, I don't know, I guess you were under. Yeah. When you died. When. Yeah. 90 the, minutes, the, no heartbeat. 90 minutes, no heartbeat. Are you technically, do they say you're dead at that point or no? Yeah, you have no heartbeat. The only way, reason you're functioning is they got you on a heart-lung bypass machine, which keeps your brain going and, and all, everything else, but your your heart's not working any longer. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. And so 90 minutes, because I asked, like, how long was I without a heartbeat? And they said, uh, uh, let me look at my note. Uh, about 90 minutes. Like, you mean like an hour and a half? Like a movie? Like during the whole movie? I, I, like, I was dead at that time. You know, like, wow. But... um you know, a lot of people said, I can see you don't even look the same that you saw something. And I did. And um, it's taken a, a long while to process that because I know what I saw and I tried to Google it to think I'm not crazy. Like, well, let me see if it's on Google, right? You know, you can Google anything, right? But when you start Googling bright light and an image in it that's faceless, doesn't exist in the, in the imagination of man. It's not on Google anywhere. But it's plain as day, and, uh, and it was there plain as day. And it sat to the right of me, and it just watched over me, Susanna. Like, it was an angelic figure. And all they did was just stand guard over me. And the Bible says in Psalms 91.11, I give command and charge over my angels to stand watch over you. And that's exactly what it did. And I say it because it was sexless, like there was no face. And so um, at night when I would see it again, I would break down emotionally, but I wasn't scared. It just was the most overwhelming, like the love you have for your child when you first hold your child. Like I've never loved something so much in my life. I've never felt so loved so much in my life. That, that's How? exactly what happened. I didn't remember that part. I know I've been excited to talk about the angel this whole time um, because I think it's fascinating. But I didn't remember that you talked about how often did you feel like your your angel was with you? Aside from Every all night, the time, like a, but literally, like, see this figure. Usually at night, yeah. in, in the stillness of the night, um, when everyone was gone, I mean, I had a ton of visitors, like Jim Sunberg from the Texas Rangers, Roger Hines in New York Knicks. I mean, like, they'd never seen so much foot traffic. And the reason is everyone wanted to hear about the experience. But it was at night when no one's there, and in the stillness of the night... And I would close my eyes and I could see it again. And it just and it wouldn't go away. But it was the greatest sense of peace. But on the flip side, this is really funny. And you had to see it. I have a picture of it somewhere. There's a machine in that hospital room. And it has two green lights on it. But it would reflect on the TV. And it looked like two evil eyeballs. <laughs> and it did. And I would have to call the nurse. I kid you not. I call the nurse and say, y'all have to cover that up like. Ain't no evil in this room, like, it, but I would see the angel, like, it was really, like, good versus evil. It was really, it would have freaked you out. It was really, like, two eyeballs watching you sleep. 
And, Do you feel like so, the angel um, was like, was there a moment when you were like, I'm going to stay or the angel was ready to take you, take you? Did you have any of that no, moment? I didn't feel the angel was there to take me. I, I think the angel was just standing guard watching over me to guard me in all my ways to make sure that I was okay. Watching over the surgeons it mm -hmm. is exactly, you know, and, and, and I, you know, again, you know, I kind of talked about that on, on the TikTok video this morning of, of, of the why, you know, why would God do something like that? You know, why would he allow that? Why me? You know, I'm a coach from Weatherford, Texas. Why would you pick me to, to have an angelic experience? And um, maybe with, maybe the angels are with all of us. You just happen to see yours. I think it's to give them a message of hope. Yeah. I, I think to share with people because, you know, in, in the book of John, you know, um, the disciples see a blind guy and they're like, well, my gosh, what did that dude do? You know, mm -hmm. that he's blind. And he said, he, he didn't do anything. It's to show my greatness and my glory. And, and that's when he put mud on his hands and all of a sudden the guy could see. And the reason he did it is so he would go tell people. But, did and so God, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna, you can finish your thought. No, I mean, you know, and again, a lot of us have had experiences and we just don't talk about it. No, nobody wants to talk about it because nobody wants to be judged for potentially believing in angels. Do people talk to you more about what they believe now that they feel like, oh, he's not going to judge me yeah. for what I think? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I went public. Had a, another, had a reporter ask me, mm. well, you know, like, did you see anything? And, and I... For the first time publicly, I said, yeah. So I went live and on TikTok and social media. And all of a sudden, my I've been blown up with messages of people sharing their experience. And my question, why you've never told anyone? They're like, people think I'm crazy. People think I'm crazy. But I'm bold enough. Yeah, I'm bold enough to like, I realize why God did it. Did you believe in angels before? Yeah, because of uh, 2008. And I mm -hmm. had an experience in 2008. Oh, that's but, right. But at the yeah. time, I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought I didn't tell anybody because they'd think that's crazy, honestly. But I felt the touch, you know, the physical touch of somebody, you know, in, in 2008. And and it's all come full circle now, you know, to be like, Rick, I never left you. I've been with you every step of the way. You know, I mean, just um, it, it's funny. Some people think you get sick because of karma or something like something bad you did. A lot of times just because it's part of the journey, you know, and mm, yeah. uh, obviously, you know, God can do. But, yeah, just um, I've studied a lot on angels. You know, I have a biblical studies background and uh, a degree. And um, David Jeremiah, um, big in ministry, does a phenomenal study on angels. And um, but, but I've never I've always seen the Google pictures of what people create. But Mercy Me has that song, I Can Only Imagine, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. talking about going to heaven. And, and all I can tell you, Suzanne, is it is, you can only imagine. So did you have any other experiences with angels before this? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, we got to go back to 2008. Um, so the night I hit rock bottom and I'm pacing the floors and after I'd cried out to God, I finally dozed off in the wee hours in the morning. Got very little sleep. But all of a sudden, Susan had this dream. 
And I could see the boy's mom to the right of me. And she had a perfect face, just like you do. And she's smiling at me, but she's not saying anything. But the way she's smiling at me, it was like, it's going to be okay, Rick. And then I feel her take me by the right hand. Well, when I felt the, the touch of whatever it was, it woke me up. So I woke up distraught and I'm crying and, but I don't tell nobody, right? Like, what are you going to tell someone? Like somebody grabbed my hand in a dream. They're like, man, you're on those drugs still. And, and so I, I'm going back to coaching. This happened so there's later. A biblical, there's a biblical yeah, verse for it, that, right? Right. right. In, in Isaiah, he, he says that I will take you by the right hand and, and protect you. And, but at the time that hadn't hit me mm-hmm. until I'm coaching at Gainesville youth prison. And I'm also a correction officer, but I have a kid on a suicide watch and I'm reading 90 minutes in heaven. Oh my gosh, 90 minutes. Susan, think of that. I had no mm. heartbeat for 90 minutes. There's yep. There's, there's patterns in numbers. Wow. That yeah, there is. That's crazy. Anyway, in the story of Dan Piper that's in a car accident, goes to heaven for 90 minutes. That, God, that just hit me like that. Wow. Like, you're, man, you are so good at this. Um, and in the book, he's, he just told his testimony, and his buddy's wife said, hey, Dan, your testimony is a little inaccurate. And he goes, well, no, it's not. It's my testimony. He said, yeah, you said my husband grabbed you by the right hand while you were in the car accident. He goes, yeah, he did. And he goes, no, he didn't, Dan. He couldn't reach your hand. And he goes, no, like he did. And then, then he stopped. He's like, oh, my God. Somebody held me by the right hand. Mm-hmm. And then they referred to Isaiah. And I'm like, and it hit me like, oh, my God. That's what happened to me. But I still never talked about it. But I knew the light came on. And so fast forward to now. And, and so I realized that. And then. Do you think that I, the, that the angel looked like your wife? because that's how you could accept it your ex-wife yeah because i i yeah i mean i think where i was at especially in my walk and like you picture an angel looking like a cherub Mm. right but that would have freaked me out like to see somebody i don't know laying next to me that wouldn't have been nearly as peaceful (laughs) but the thing that gave me peace at the time was the boy's mom and so yeah i mean the movie The Shack, something like that happened, if you've ever seen that. But I, I think that the image God sent was in the form of the boy's mom because that's the thing that gave me peace and was calming to me at the time. And, and yeah, it's exactly what you said. I mean, you're, 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 you're point on. I mean, so that's my second angelic experience until, have, until now. But I have, yeah, that's. I, I have one more question and then I promise I'll let you go. Sure. No, it's okay. When you were um, the hospice chaplain, did you have many conversations with your patients then about what they might see or what they might experience, or did they talk to you about that? Yeah, um, that that's another great question. Happened all the time. You know, these people are terminal, right? So, I, you know, I get people a lot older, you know, that um, when they'd go what we call critical care, meaning comfort care, to say it's a matter of days. But you'd have someone that maybe 95 years old to say, I know where I'm going, but I'm a little scared, mm. which is true to say you all day long, like, can make, make, you're going to go to heaven, like, great. 
But when you're laying at death's door, it's a whole different experience. It's a whole different part of the journey to say, this is really happening. This is reality. I had those conversations all the time. Or they would hear somebody. had a lady that I loved always talking to because every night she could feel the presence of her husband. She could actually smell his cigar smoke. And, of course, the sons and them are thinking, like, maybe mom's losing her mind. But I told her, I said, I don't believe that at all. You know, I said a lot of times that they will, you know, I think God allows a presence of a loved one, you know, to come back to you. And um, and uh, I had those conversations all the time. But at least they were honest to say, I know where I'm going, but I'm scared a little bit. Yeah. You know, but we all the time can sing the little song in the diddly, you know, that we know where we're going and praise God and all that until it's time. And, and I can honestly say I was at complete peace with that. I really was. And that's when to say, Lord, you know, either way, I'll see you soon. And I meant that because. I was ready, you know, like I said, I was ready, but yeah, that was a great question. The two most normal and awesome things, birth and death. Yeah. A company I worked for was Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Beginning and the end. My kiddos really love the um, angel of God prayer. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here. Although since you've studied in angels, and I've seen this debate online. Is there not possible a possibility that somewhere in the translation it got shifted that angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits thee here. God's love has sent you the angel to be with me. Because the reg everywhere I see it, it's commits me here, commits me here, commits me here on this place. But it's about the angel. It is, a, yeah, it is. A, yeah, I mean, it is about the angel. I mean, it is. And, 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 you know, people say, like, can they take on a life form? Yeah, to an extent, that they can. To my understanding through study, you know, when, and what I experienced of um, that it can take a form of anything you know, that, that it wants to, you know, I mean, but God is still in command of the angels and, uh, you know, when, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'll never tell someone you're wrong. My, my question would be, what do you believe? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, my favorite saying is you, you do you boo. You You know what I mean? But you do you boo, man, because, God gives us free will and I can read a scripture and it means something to me, but different to you. And, and so my deal is that every relationship looks different. And so, you know, my, my quite like, do you believe there's a God? Like I do, but what do you believe? What do you believe? That's the question. What do you believe about angels? You know, I can tell you what I've studied and what I know, but what do you believe? You know, because in that time, yeah. I mean, when the time comes, you know, to, to say, do you believe like, I, it's like, Suzanne, I can't do this for you. It's, it's, what do you believe? Free will. God gives us free that. will. That's when they're like, why, why does God allow blah, 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 blah. Well, because he didn't make us like robots. Mm, I love that so much. I'd rather, yeah. I'd talk about religion all day with somebody who's open <laughs> to multiple beliefs and options because it is so fascinating to me. Much, much better than politics all day long. Although I know well, polite conversation it, isn't religion and politics, but spirituality it's not, and, and it's so much more fun to talk about. Well, and here's what God has shown me and through this whole thing. And, and um, 
you know, obviously I've had a heart transplant, but from the biblical standpoint, and not getting the scripture, but there, I mean, there are over 350 scriptures pertaining to the heart. But what I've noticed is, you know, my heart has changed in a lot of ways during my journey that I spend more time with the people I love, yada, yada. But Suzanne, America needs a heart transplant. And my point is this, is that either you've had a spiritual heart transplant that God has changed your heart. You're in the process of one, meaning you're searching and you're growing, or you never had one. Because now with what's going on in America, we can't dictate what people are doing, but we can sure control the way we respond to them. And that's where polit- I mean, we get in trouble of these debates and me telling you, well, Suzanne, you're wrong. You're just, you're wrong and you're going to go to hell. Man, there ain't nothing Christ-like about that, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. You know, I, I'll sit all day long and listen to your belief system. I'm like, what do you believe? And I'm going to respect that. It's And it's the, the all I can control is the, way, the manner that I love you and the way I respond to you. Well, Rick. But America, yeah, America needs a heart transplant. They do. Well, I'm so, so, so thankful you reached out to me. I I've loved hearing your story. You've made a liar out of me, though, because I told you it would only be 30 minutes. And um, I just didn't. I wanted to hear more. And um, no, I could, how, I, 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 I could go all day long. Yeah. Sorry. I'm like, you know, your story is a little emotional. I'm like, my nose is kind of running. I apologize. So it's, uh, no, it's we, very powerful. I, I, I had to meet with somebody yesterday, uh, kind of a follow up appointment, and they just cried the entire time. And, and I have a dog named Bear. And Bear's a service dog that he, because of my sickness, which I'm not sick anymore, by the way. I don't have heart failure anymore. I can get life insurance now, Susanna. <laughs> Do you sell life insurance? Because nobody <laughs> would touch me before. They were like, man, there ain't no way we're giving this dude a policy. You know, but I can get one now. Anyway, but she cried the whole time, and Bear's looking at her like, are you okay? You oh, know, just, pardon. yeah, crazy. Yeah, my, my lack of insurance almost killed me, by the way. So luckily yeah. I got the right insurance. So that's why it's important to call Susanna and get oh, the right insurance plan. Right. Thank you, sir. How can people find you if they want to, if they want to reach out to you? Well, on Facebook, it's Rick Smith out of Weatherford, Texas. And you can find me through Rock Bottom Outreach, which is also on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Um, it's funny being on TikTok. Never thought I'd be on TikTok. Me anyway, either, but buddy. and our website is, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. The kids talk this into it. They're like, Coach, Coach, get on TikTok. We have like 37,000 followers, so that's pretty good. But um, they can go to our website, www.rockbottomoutreach.org. But, man, I, I love to hear from people, love to uh, talk with them. And, and obviously, you know, we'll love to come and speak. You know, we have a speaking team, but. I want to use this as a platform to share a message of hope. I mean, that's really, this is not about Rick Smith. This is about what God has done and, and doing a message of hope and, and trying to change some hearts maybe. And, and I know we've touched a lot through the journey, but like you said, to have open conversations and respect each other more than we have previously. I think that's what's important. But anyway, that's, man, you, you, you they, they can find me easily. So Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story. Um, I really appreciate it. Man, I, if you ever want to do a follow-up, I mean, I'd love to come back. We will, for sure. Awesome. 
Before we move on to our insurance tip, talking with Rick is a ton of fun because he is such a great storyteller and he's just a nice man, which makes it so fun to hear his stories. And it was fun to talk about with other people about whether they believe in angels and how often people will say, oh, I don't know, just because they don't want to be judged about it. It's pretty interesting. It's a real easy segue into our insurance tip. In fact, when Rick contacted me, he said, Susanna, everybody needs good insurance. He initially had a policy that had a $250,000 limit on heart transplants, which is not near enough. His bills went over $1.5 million. Now, once upon a time, all Affordable Care Act plans were the same. But then one of the presidential administrations loosened the restrictions. And so now we have both ACA plans and non-ACA plans. And some of these association plans are great. And they provide a really kind of alternative place to buy health insurance. And some of them have weirdo sublimits like the $250,000 on hearts, heart attacks, cancers, so you've got to be really good about reading the fine print and making sure that you're getting a policy that's going to give you the coverage you need. Everybody's healthy until one day they're not. And that's what health insurance is for. Please connect with us at GibAgencyDallas.com. Thank you again for being here, and we'll see you again next week.